0: Amen, amen, well you guys can grab a seat. Oh my goodness, it is so, I'm preaching to people. This is unbelievable. If you're at home and need to take a seat, now's the time. Uh, If you have a Bible, go and open up to John 13, to John 13. Um, Well, it really is a privilege to be with you guys tonight and open God's word with you. Um, it, It really is like difficult to know where to start Um, I mean, this last week it's just caused so much agony in me and if it hasn't caused agony in you, I I don't think you've been paying attention. I, I, I don't know how honestly to start a sermon after this last week. Because what was just a couple of months ago, we started this quarantine thing and we all were like, this is strange, we don't know what's gonna happen, we're not sure what the outcomes are going to be. And now what this season has brought us is sorrow upon sorrow and trial upon trial and the needs and the injustices just seem to grow around us every day. And so what, what could this time be for us? What could this time be for us? Because what, it, what this weariness, all of you, I know you have this soul, I do, I have this soul level like weariness right now, what it can do is push you out into the waters of numbness, and despair, or could we just as a people say, maybe there's depth we've never had before that Jesus is pressing us towards. Maybe there's strengthening you didn't know that you needed until this season came. So my hope is not to distract us from the moment that we're in. We shouldn't be distracted, we should lock in. But my hope is that we look to Jesus together and that his word would instruct us His word would steady us and his word would refine us. So last week what we did, we took a break from the Gospel of Matthew for this short two week series called Together. Because if we can't gather together in all the normal ways that we're used to, we think, we believe God's sovereign. So he must have some purpose for us as a church in light of that. And so Ross taught last week how the Christian life must be lived out together how we transform together. What I wanna cover this week is how we are meant to love together. So of all, all the different virtues and characteristics that God could give to his kingdom, he chose one that is most prominent, and it is love. First Corinthians 13, 13 says this. Paul says, now these three remain, these three attributes, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now this doesn't mean that love diminishes the importance of faith or hope in the promises of God. This doesn't mean, hear me, that you shouldn't seek justice. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't show mercy. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't lament loss. This doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue holiness. All of those things are essential to what does it mean to follow Jesus? The point is this, love uniquely encapsulates all of those things. Love uniquely summarizes everything God is doing through Jesus. Everything we're called to falls under the banner of love, of love. Now, but the the love the Bible has in mind is more than just a concept, it's more than even just an attribute of God. It's love lived out. It's love expressed towards one another. Listen, the church is not built on policies and programs and procedures and buildings and organizational statements, as helpful as they can be. The church is built on love. It's built on love. God's love for us and then our love for one another. So what should happen is when the church can't gather together on Sundays, what should happen? Well, it shouldn't mean that we quit loving each other. All it should mean is that we get to see just how deep our relationships are with each other. What should happen is we should reorganize what the church looks like, but if we truly love one another, it shouldn't eradicate our community. It shouldn't. But is that the case? Is that the case for us? Are you, are you truly known by other brothers and sisters in Christ independent of your attendance at church events? Were your lives already intertwined in such a way that you were already serving the city in the ways that we're called to? Does this time reveal that in us or does it, does it, does it reveal maybe just how disconnected we truly already were? Does it reveal that maybe it didn't create tension, maybe it revealed it? Maybe it didn't create loneliness, maybe it revealed it. Maybe God is shaking us up to show that maybe what we view as church has become primarily about attendance and programs and not real Christian friendships rooted in love. Now, I'm not saying it's that simple. I'm not saying I can reduce down everyone's situation and story to just that that framework I just gave, but I am saying that the shaking that we're in is meant to deepen our love for each other, to not settle for proximity and shared space with people while our hearts and living rooms are far from each other. To not settle for superficial love for each other that never cost me, that never cost me time or ambitions or weekends or money. Now I'm not calling that out to make you feel guilty, I promise. I'm not saying that to make you feel shame, I'm saying it because there is depth And there is joy to following Jesus that you'll miss without a shared life and a shared table and shared sorrows and shared victories with his people. It's by God's design that there is more life together than there is apart. And can I just tell you, this is the church the world needs by the way. This is the church the world needs. I don't know if you know this, but our culture finds our doctrine increasingly bizarre. They find it increasingly bizarre. It's only gonna get more that way, by the way. It's only gonna get more bizarre to the world around us when we talk of incarnation and Trinity and heaven and hell and sexual ethics and the image of God on everyone and death for sin and prayer for enemies. Those things have always sounded strange to whatever context the church has been in because the world is broken and corrupt and deceived by sin and Satan, but it's only becoming more pronounced in our context. Now, hear me. Some of you are like, yeah, we don't need doctrine. We just need love. Hold up, hold up. Actually, I think it means doctrine is even more important because if the world around us actually shares less in common with our belief system, that means we, we need to be more studied in the scriptures, more robust in our teaching of theology to make sure we're not washed away, But our doctrine, I'm telling you, is gonna become increasingly strange to the world around us. But listen, our community of love that goes across political lines, our community of love that cuts across ethnic lines, our community of love that cuts across social lines, that's going to be compelling. That's going to be interesting. Our world's gonna say, what you believe is crazy you believe a dude is coming back from the dead on a horse to save everybody? I'm like, more or less, yeah, that's it. But, but the way you treat each other, that's different. The way you forgive, the way you learn and listen to each other, that's different. You disagree and still you're listening. You don't know their story and still you're listening. That, that's different. That's the kind of church that we could be, but listen, we'll have to build it together. You don't just become that kind of church. You work to become that kind of church. Because listen, there is no lack of Christian content out there. We've never had more content, better content in the history of the world, but you know what there's a lack of? There is a lack of real, on the ground, gritty, lived out Christian community. The world needs to see the doctrines we profess lived out. Do you know what they need? They need an incarnation of sorts. You know what they need? They need this sort of word of God made flesh sort of thing where they could see what we're talking about. Listen to how the apostle John describes this. 1 John 4, 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. If. We love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one's ever seen God, but John's point is, but if you and I love each other, they'll get a glimpse of what he's like. They'll know what he's like. So what if the entire world came to our little church and wanted to know what's the love of God like, and they came into our community, and all they saw were a bunch of lonely people who attended services together? A bunch of people who knew no one different than them. A bunch of people who had never actually heard the story of someone who didn't share their background. See, what if they came to our church and what the Austin Stone was known for? What if what we were known for was our sincere, genuine love and sacrifice and concern for each other as much as we're known for ministry, excellence, theology, and doctrine? I think if we were known for our love, people would come in and say, I don't believe anything you believe, but I can't explain that. I can't explain what this is. So to to show you this from the text, I want us to look at John 13 through 17. We're gonna read all five chapters, I'm kidding. Um, But these five chapters, these, these have been called the upper room discourse. And this is the last major lesson Jesus had for his disciples before his betrayal, before his suffering, before his crucifixion. So if you haven't, actually after this week, I just read John 13 through 17 this week and it was really, really comforting just to hear Jesus, he's about to be crucified and the confidence that he has in God, it was so reassuring to me. So Jesus covers many things, but one of the major themes he spends all this time covering is love, love. Of all the things he could cover, he wants this, his disciples to know you're supposed to love and practice that for one another. So I'm gonna give you four texts all in a row. John 13, 13 through 15. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you, sh- you also should do just as I have done to you. John 15, 12 through 13, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 17, this is what I command you. Love one another. John 17, 20 21, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Are you picking up the theme? Are you seeing what Jesus is saying? Being loved by God means that I make loving others first priority, first priority. Look at John 13, 34, our last text. He says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, if you love one another, if you are measuring your relationship with Jesus and you're measuring the health of your soul by something other than your love for other people, you're probably doing it wrong. If you are assessing the health of who you are by some other metric, You're probably doing it wrong because loving other people is not just one of many things. It's the main thing. Can I tell you what happens so often in our church? You ask people, how are you doing with Jesus? And do you know how we assess it? Did I read the Bible today? I did read that devotional, so that sort of counts, right? Did I read the Bible today? And if I read my Bible, then obviously I'm good. If I didn't read my Bible, then I don't know how I'm doing. Now, obviously, if you're thinking, so we don't read Bibles every day? Yes, you still need to do that, okay? But but if you read your Bible in the morning and you're completely unloving to other people throughout the day, you don't understand what you read. If you read your Bible in the morning and it doesn't hit your mind, I mean once throughout the day, have I loved anybody today? Then you haven't believed the Bible that you're reading. See, Jesus says, I have this new command for you, but it's not new in the way that you think because it's not as if God has never told us to love people. In Leviticus 19, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said himself that all the law and the prophets are summed up in love God and love people. So what does he mean, new command? What does he mean by new command? He means what's new is the standard by which your love is measured. What's new is the motivation for your love of other people, what's the motivation? Just as I have loved you. As I have loved you, the bar, the bar for your love, for the Christians around you, is not what you think they deserve. It's not what you think is best. It's not even what you think they'd be happy with this amount of love. The bar is not the famous bracelet of what would Jesus do? That's not the bar. The bar actually is more personal than that. The question should be, how has Jesus loved me? How has he loved me? It's not some theoretical exercise of ethics. It's contemplating, wait, how has he loved me? Broken, messy, confused, wounded, hurting, failing, yet trying to convince myself I don't need that much help version of me. Well, he never gave up on me. He was patient with me. He saved me, he says, as I have loved you, and you, and you. That's how you love one another. So how in the world do you narrow down how Jesus has loved us? How do you narrow it down? Because candidly, you can't. Because the whole, you know what the whole Bible is? Telling the story of God's undeserved love for people who don't earn it. Who don't, who don't warrant the kind of love God gives to them and all of eternity. Do you know what all of eternity is gonna be? You ever wonder, what are we gonna do? All of eternity is gonna be you gaining new perspective and understanding in depth every day of how God has loved you and how much you did not deserve it. And then when you figure out how much God has loved you and how much you don't deserve how holy he is, you're gonna to wanna to love other people more. If you don't like loving other people, you are going to hate heaven. You're gonna hate it. Because that's what we're made to do, is to be loved by God and love other people. So there's no exhausting or putting in a nice, niche little statement of how Jesus has loved us, but for our purposes, I wanna look at how, how did John introduce this whole section? In John 13, 1, he introduces this entire upper room discourse to tell us something about how Jesus loves his people. And I think in John 13, 1, what you're gonna see is why we even have small groups at the Austin Stone. So John 13, 1, it says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Look at how he describes Jesus. Having loved his own who were in the world, that last line, he loved them to the end. There's no one like Jesus. There's nobody like, he loved them to the end. I wanna focus on that last line. He loved them to the end because Jesus says, as I have loved you, That's how you love other people. He says we love them to the end. I wanna think about those terms, them and to the end. So the term them is a defined group of people. In the text it says them, it's referring to Jesus' 12 disciples. This is a small group of sorts, okay? And they had been through everything together, highs and lows, miracles and losses, mundane walks through the wilderness, and life-changing walks on water. They had seen Jesus extend the party at wedding feasts, and they'd seen him shut it down at temple courts. They'd been through everything together. Now, 13.1, them is not, this is not a verse that we're, what John has in mind is small groups at the Austin Stone. That's not his point, okay? But here's what it shows you, that Jesus' love is not distant. His love is not theoretical love. His love is not something that comes down to just instruct you a little bit with no relationship. No, his love for us is relational, it's consistent, it's intentional. And while his love is for everyone, he's still a human being. Remember, he's 100% God, 100% man, he's still a human being, so he can't spend, think about his time, he can't spend an equal amount of time with everyone, so what does he do? He focuses his energy on a smaller group of friends. Loving one another the way Jesus loves means, I think, it means belonging to a group of Christian friends. Now, I'm not here to legislate that number. If you're like, well, is it 12? I'm like, well, maybe not 12 because one of them flamed out. So maybe do 11, right? I'm not here to legislate numbers. I'm not here to make it more formal than it's supposed to be. But here's the question. If Jesus had to focus his energies, how much more do you? If Jesus had to focus his energies, how much more do you? If Jesus, of all the ways he could show his love, prioritize a particular group of people, how much more should we? See, we're called to love everyone in the church, but we can't love everyone in the same way. Small groups, listen, they're meant to help you embrace your limitations. You can't love everybody the same way. They're meant to help you embrace your limitations while not limiting your love. See, not everyone can and should know the intimate workings of your soul, but some people should. Some people should. You can't bend your schedule around everybody in the church, but you should bend your schedule around some people. You can't practically carry everyone's burdens, but you can for some people. And here's the thing. You can hide your lack of love, the larger the group is, like, for instance, a Sunday service. But it's much harder to hide your lack of love in a smaller group, which is why so many of us don't wanna belong to them, because you're gonna see how little I love you. Let me just tell you, if you're scared of being found out, when you believe in a gospel of grace, being found out is freeing, and hiding is exhausting. See, it's easy to think you're loving when it's theoretical. Like when your love is committed to no one in particular, maybe outside of your immediate family, but when you, like Jesus, align yourself with a particular group of people, maybe some people you don't click with. Maybe some people who voted differently than you. Maybe some people who you don't maybe like all that much. It's in those relationships where you see how radical is the love of God for me? How far did God's love go for me? Did he wait to those he had chemistry with? Or did his love sacrifice himself for me? Don't we sound like the disciples? We sound just like them. They didn't always like each other. Several of them had very different views on politics and the role of government. They didn't agree on everything. They didn't treat each other well. There's a reason Jesus is telling them over and over again, fellas, love each other. Because it's consistency and intentionality of groups that shows our lovelessness. It's consistency and intentionality that shows our lovelessness and our need for Jesus to fill us up with his love. See, here's the thing. Here's what I've noticed, myself included. We all love sporadic, ambiguous groups because they make us feel like we love people. If they're sporadic and ambiguous, no accountability. Sounds great, right? It makes all of us feel like we're more, more loving than we actually are, but you won't grow that way. You won't grow that way. You grow through consistent and intentional Christian friendships that seek to love God, church, city, nations. Oddly enough, that's our mission statement. Isn't that crazy how that works out? When you seek to love one another as you live on mission together, that's where the spirit of God grows us up into Jesus. So when he said he loved them, he meant 12 people in particular. Them, a specific group of friends. And what did he do? He loved them to the end. And can I just tell you, this is probably the most difficult piece of belonging to a church. It's the most difficult piece of belonging to Christian friends who wanna live on mission together, loving them to the end. Here's my experience. Most brand new Christians that I've ever met typically don't have a hard time valuing the church or Christian friendships. Now, let me explain. Now, if they've had family members or friends get hurt by the church, that's different, but by and large, most of the time when someone has become a brand new Christian, they just believe Jesus for the very first time, normally they're eager to love, they're eager to serve, they're ready to jump in. Why? Because all their Christian friends are the ones who just brought them to Jesus. All their friends are the ones that just brought them, usually a church is a part of bringing them to Jesus. And so most of their faith, they've known through their friends. So most brand new Christians are excited about Jesus being in a church, and figuring out what community looks like. like. Like, over the last three years, we've had this opportunity at Stone. We have, I don't know if you even realize this sometimes, we have baptized literally hundreds of people, not for the sake of our name, but to show you Jesus is still seeking and saving people in this city. And what's incredible is I love when we do baptism celebrations because you get to have this moment where you get to hear a new story. Like, it's a brand new, it's a brand new story that no one's ever told before, and you get to hear it but I also love getting to see their friends and family who are with them. Like you, you're getting to watch like a friend, watch their friend talk about Jesus and you see that friend's face filled with joy because there's years of prayers and years of conversations that have gone into this one moment. And when you get to watch that, there's almost like nothing like it. And so because of that, because that's their experience of the church so far, they come in and they're so excited about possibilities. Do you remember when you were a brand new Christian how you kind of thought, what could the church be? And then 10 years in, you're like, I don't know if I wanna go to church anymore, right? I've seen it at the the story of this church. Like, so many of us who are leaders in this church, we came to church when we were young, and I'm still really young. I became a pastor when I was like four here. Like, I was so young. And when you first start out, you're like, there's nothing we can't do. And then you realize, there's a lot we can't do. And then it's hard to keep loving. There's many of you listening to this who you've been in church for a long time and you know that. It's not the first group of Christian friends that's hard to commit to. It's the 10th. It's the 10th. They're the hard ones to commit to. It's not the beginning of love that's challenging. It's the end. It's loving them to the end. Can I just tell you something? If you wanna stay faithful to Jesus, you're gonna have to keep making Christian friends. They'll always have to be a priority. There's nothing in the way that our society's set up, there's nothing in our society that's gonna help you make friends. And if you're not careful, your job and your schedule will set your priorities and you'll find yourself lonely and not know why. You have to keep making Christian friends. Life is too difficult. Suffering is too real. Sin is too enticing. The ambitions of faith, so many of you have so many dreams God's given you and if the dreams God's given you only require your involvement, they're too small. They're too small. The dreams God's give you should require the church to be a part of it. There's too much good to accomplish in this world and darkness to push back. There's too much of God's grace to celebrate to do any of those things alone. And so let me just tell you, so many of us in this room are young. Throughout your life, your friend groups will change. And people God used mightily, mightily in your life will transition out of it for all sorts of reasons. Some reasons will be good. Promotions and they'll move and life stage. Some will be bad, they'll leave the faith, suffering, even death. And when that happens, and those groups of friends begin to fade, all of us want to give up, don't we? All of us are like, I can't put myself out there again. We got hurt by somebody, I just can't, I can't share who I am anymore. But you remember, well how did Jesus love you? He loved you to the end. He didn't give up, even when it was hard. You know what that means for us? It'll mean loving new people you don't know. New believers you've never met before and bringing them into your life. I mean, think about the disciples again. Like, think about those 12 men. That group didn't stay the same, right? Eventually, that group spread all over the world. And I bet when they were older, they remembered fondly their arguments as they walked along about who was the greatest. Right, I bet they can even and look back, kind of missing those days when they fought all the time, right, that's how it happens with friendships. Remember when we fought, I miss those times. That's how it happens, but they moved on. Peter was in Rome, Thomas may have been in India, James went to Jerusalem, Bartholomew, who has any idea where that guy was the entire time? Well, ask him in heaven, where are we at, Bart? Where are we at? He's like, I don't want to talk about it. They left me out. Um, but life transitions, hurts, sorrows, and the mission of God. We've sent goers from this church. Friends of mine have left for the mission of God. All those things are consistently shuffling our Christian friends around. Me and Lauren, we, we counted this week. In the last 12 years, we have been in 11 different groups. Now, if the introvert in you just said, well, I have to quit. Like, if, if that's what just happened, let me just tell you, that's not the norm for everybody. That shouldn't be the norm. Some of it's unique to our stage of life. Some of it's unique to my calling as a pastor. And I'm also not boasting about how, look how many groups I've been in. I'm not boasting either. because Just because you're in a group doesn't mean you're loving, okay? Those are two different things. You can be in a group, but it doesn't mean that you were a faithful member of that group. But here's what, all, all of those different groups have taught me something. No group lasts forever and no group is the same, and no group is the same. And most of those groups honestly were only for a year. And some of those groups were really faithful to evangelism, some of them really grew in our doctrine, some of them honestly, we just went through deep suffering together and trauma and loss. Other groups were just a reprieve from the pressures of life. And every single one of those groups, all of them, we all wondered, should we keep doing this thing? I mean, I I led a group two years ago and I've been doing this for a long time. I'm a pastor of this church and every time we would meet the night of, I'm like, how could I get out of this? Maybe my kid's sick. Like I I would find, maybe there's a way because just there's that pressure of, do we have to keep doing this? But every single one of those groups, every single one of them, God has used to teach me and Lauren and my family more about what his love is like as we start to love other people as you brought new people in, and I thought my heart couldn't expand anymore for any more people to be in it, he finds a way to show me. Do you know how much love he has? He's not gonna run out. So if you abide in him, you don't have to worry about you running out. See, it's easy, it's easy to give up on consistent, on consistent and intentional Christian friendships. See, over those those 11 groups you've been in, you know what else God has done? We've developed some lifelong friends through those groups. And we're not in every group all the time together, but there's friends that I have because of that that'll probably be with me and Lauren for the rest of our lives in some ways. But it's easy to give up on consistent intentional Christian friendship. And here's what happens, we want to wait until things get hard and then we need friends. But if you wait, when life gets hard, you won't have any friends you'll want a community you haven't been pouring into and then you wonder why no one's there. You wanna wait till you click with somebody. But how many of your closest friends, when you first met them, you're like, I will never be their friend. All of you have people in your life who you met and your first impression was never. And now you're thinking, I can't imagine living life without this person. It's so easy to drift to have a community who looks just like you and believes just like you, sees the world just like you, but you haven't been called to the kingdom of God to live a life of ease. You've been called to live a life of love. That's the calling in the kingdom of God. And so here's what I want you to know. Don't feel the pressure for every group you're a part of to always look the same, right? Don't feel the pressure for every year. It has to be the exact same thing. Can I just ask you something? Let your church help you. Like some of you already have Christian friends. Can you just tell us so we know you have community? And I promise, I promise we won't mess it up, but maybe you need someone to refine your friendships because when you're in friendships for a long time, you know what happens? You quit asking each other hard questions because that's just who they are. But sometimes you need someone to press you and go, no, no, that's not just who any Christian is. We all repent of that. Sometimes you need help going, hey, do you remember when you used to love evangelism and you don't anymore? Do you remember when justice was a thing that you sought after in our city but now you've kind of backed off? The church is not here to mess up your friendships, it's meant to give them consistency and intentionality to love God and the church and the city and the nations. So don't hear this as a call to just change everything, but maybe it's saying you can't follow Jesus faithfully, You can't keep loving God's people to the end if you're not around them. Because you don't keep loving them because they deserve it. You don't keep loving them because you feel a calling towards it. You love because you've been loved. Your love for other people is not rooted in you. You'll run out. Your calling to love other people is not rooted in them. They will not deserve it, just like you don't deserve it. It's always rooted in Jesus and His never giving up love for us. That He says, "I'll lose everything for you." It's when you have forgotten His love for you, where love for other people seems impossible. But when you're aware, wait, God loves, like love doesn't hate me. He doesn't sort of like me. When He loves me, I can love them. When I believe His love for me is when I can love other people. So you can listen. You can sit back and take Christian community for granted, I'll just give you this warning, we'll be done. You can sit back, you really can. Get home to Jesus. You you can sit back, take Christian community for granted, but I'm telling you, your joy will be weaker. Your losses will be more devastating. And your victories will be less sweet. Why? Because there's more together and less apart. That's the way God designed it. So let's, let's actually be a church that when we invite our non-believing friends to our homes when we can, when we invite our, our questioning friends to maybe even a Sunday service when we can, let's be known for our love for each other. That they would see, man, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but the way you treat each other, that's intriguing. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. If we love each other, then we can see God get to work. Let's pray. Father, of all the things we could ask you for as a church, as a people, The thing we need most is to understand the depths of your love for us so that we would be a people who are relentless in our love for one another. God, right now, would you begin to ease friction and frustrations and hurts and lack of forgiveness we have towards people around us? God, right now, would you prompt some of us to apologize for not listening well to our friends and brothers and sisters of color as they explained to many of us, white brothers and sisters, their experiences. And we spoke too soon and we need to apologize for that. We didn't listen, we didn't learn. God, would you make us through this season in this strange time, these sorrowful times that we're in, God, would you use it to deepen us in ways we can't even understand? Would you make us a community of people who are known, God, known for our love for each other? That we'd be the most proactive people in communication. We'd text and call because we wanna know how our friends are doing. Because Jesus, that's how you loved us. Oh, the number of times, Jesus, you could have interrupted me as I explained my situation and given me all of feedback, but God, how many times have you listened to me cry out? How many times have you sought us out? God, we've never come running for you. You've always come running for us. And Jesus, when you say you love us, it's no strings attached. We could fail miserably tomorrow and you're not going anywhere because you make promises and you keep them. And so God, until we get your love for us, it'll seem so foreign loving each other, but when we get your love for us, your passion for us, your sacrifice for us, your commitment to us, well, God, then we know how to love. God, make the Austin Stone known as people who get and understand and believe and grasp grace. And that would make us these strange people with these strange communities of love and diversity and kindness and patience and gentleness and self-control. And that this world would say, I don't believe a thing they believe, but I can't argue with that community. God, that's what we want. Even now, silence the cynic in us that says that's not possible. Jesus, I remember we sang a song when well, you, you turned graves into gardens. So do that in this time. Take the graves of this season and turn them into gardens in ways we couldn't have even foreseen. And let it start with us. We pray these things in Christ's mighty name. Amen.